0: On this episode of Blue 58, the Packers made a trade and liked it so much they decided to turn right back around and make another. Did they get a good value on these deals? Was the timing right? And what do they mean about this season? We take on those questions and more. It's just a shame there's so little to talk about. Blue 58. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of the powersweep.com. As always, I am your fearless host, John Meerdink, diving into the latest headlines and news. With you, uh, the original plan was to take more of your questions than we're going to end up taking on this uh, this episode. But as it would turn out, a lot of the questions you asked when we threw out the call for questions dovetailed nicely with what ended up happening today. So we'll kind of mix them in as we go along and knock off the remaining few at the end. We're going to kind of go through today what happened today, since it's Tuesday as we're re- recording this, even if you're listening to it on a Wednesday or beyond. I'm going to kind of go through things. Sequentially, um, in in the order that things happened, I guess that's what sequentially means, um, and then kind of break it down, take a step back, and talk about what it means. So I want to talk about the Ty Montgomery trade first, then talk about the Ha Ha Clinton dicks Dix trade, uh, talk about one trade the Packers were in on but didn't execute, and then we'll talk about what they mean. Sound good? Good. Ty Montgomery is a member of the Baltimore Ravens, headed that way for a 2020 seventh round pick. To me, this says the Packers were going to get rid of him. Prior to my, my Ty Montgomery talking yesterday, I thought there was a chance they could keep him, but after he talked, I think it was clear that there would be considerable locker room tension if he stayed around. Uh, just a lot of sniping going on on both sides, less so on Montgomery's side, but you could tell he was hurt. It was not a great place for him to be anymore, and so the Packers decided to more or less do him a favor and move on from him. Again, getting that seventh round pick in 2020 is practically nothing. Uh, The Packers are getting practically nothing back in this trade. Seventh round picks are virtually worthless, but getting more than nothing is still a win here because I think if you if you announce on the day before the day of the trading deadline that you're interested in trading a guy, what you're essentially telling the league is we're going to cut this guy if we can't find something for him, and you're hoping that someone decides. They just want to skip to the front of the line and make sure they get their hands on that particular player before anybody else does. So that's what the Ravens did, and now they have one gently used Ty Montgomery. What does this mean for the Packers? Well, they probably need another body in their backfield because as much as Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams are capable of soaking up those carries, you probably don't want to stick around with just two backs on your active roster. So where did the Packers go from here? Well, one name that comes to mind right away is Dan Vitali, the new fullback former Northwestern superback that the Packers signed to their practice squad last week. And you'll remember we spent quite a bit of time talking about him during uh, last Wednesday's episode. Uh, he's interesting uh, because he can do a lot of different things Uh, He's a runner. He's a receiver. He contributes in special teams. Basically, he's a versatile kind of do-it-all-back, which is kind of what you want from your number three guy. And that's kind of what Ty Montgomery did. A little bit in the receiving game, a little bit in the running game, and a little bit of stuff on special teams. The reason I feel comfortable with a guy like that is because because I don't think you're going to rely on whoever the Packers had to their roster to take up a bunch of snaps, because the Packers, I think, are pretty much going to ride with Jones and Williams going forward here. More reps for Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams is a definite firm outcome uh, from this trade situation. Historically, Mike McCarthy has been much more inclined to go pretty much with a 60-40 split between his number one and number two backs, maybe even 70-30 in some instances. Uh, than he has to do a running back rotation like he did this year. In fact, one of the reasons that this running back situation has been so frustrating to me personally this year is because it's very out of character with how McCarthy has operated in the past. Typically, he's gone with mostly a number one guy with some brief moments of rest, bringing in that number two guy. That hasn't been at all what we've seen this year, and it's been frustrating because I think Aaron Jones should be getting a lot more, more carries. This is also an interesting trade from the idea of accountability. I think it's good to see a guy who made a mistake have some consequences for those mistakes. In recent years, there's kind of been sort of almost an unspoken thing that if you made the roster out of training camp, you were pretty much good for the year unless you got hurt or you know just disappeared forever on the depth chart somewhere. They just didn't play you forever. The Packers are not in that situation anymore. Brian Gutekunst is churning his roster on a weekly basis, and he's getting rid of problem guys, except for Tony Brown. That's a different issue. Um, But he, at least in this case, he showed that if if you screw up and things become untenable, you're going to be out of here. And they got something for Ty Montgomery instead of cutting him for nothing. But why not Mason Crosby then? Uh, Why didn't the Packers give him some consequences for what he went through? Well, I think there's a simple answer there, and there's it is that there's a lot more time Montgomery's out there than there are Mason Crosby's. Not saying that Crosby is a world-beating kicker or something like that. hes I don't know if he's in the top half. The Packers are probably doing pretty well uh, among kickers in the NFL. Um, is he in the top 10 currently right now? Maybe. That would put him in the top third of kickers in the league. Top 10 would be roughly top third. Okay, I, I guess I can get on board with that, but... You can. The point is you can replace a third string running back a lot more easily than you can replace a kicker you're comfortable with. And I think that's largely what you're looking for with a kicker. You're just trying to find a guy you're comfortable with. So that's why after he made his mistakes, Crosby didn't get released and why Ty Montgomery after he made his is out. And there's some other extenuating circumstances there. I mean, everybody seemed pretty happy with Mason Crosby and said, yep, just kind of a bad situation that he was in that week, but we know he'll pull through it. Then you have with the uh, perceived tantrum sideline or sideline tantrum from Montgomery and the subsequent issues there. So, in short, probably a good deal for the Packers, probably a good deal for everybody involved. Just uh, kind of a shame to see Montgomery's tenure end this way. Ha ha, Clinton Dix, the next domino to fall. He heads to Washington for a fourth round pick. Why? Well, I think a few reasons. He's inconsistent a little bit. He's in a contract year. That's a lot of it. And the Packers basically decided they would try to get their comp- compensatory pick, or slightly better, uh, now as opposed to 2020. So as you'll recall, that that compensatory pick takes into consideration for agents you lose and free agents you gain. And sort of it weights it depending on the value of the contracts that you give out, and there's this whole formula, or whatever. Basically, the Packers would be looking to get a pick back from losing Clinton Dix in free agency, the year after they lose him. So that would be twenty for the 2020 draft. There, by trading him now, you can ensure that you're getting one a pick at all, and two a pick of a certain value in the short term. So I think that's the that's the logic behind the trade. I think this trade is more about haha ha Clinton Dix, the player, than the Ty Montgomery trade is about Montgomery, the player. And to kind of explore that issue, I want to use an email from a listener uh, named Terrence. I won't use his full name, but Terrence, I think, offers a really thoughtful look at a, a pro haha ha Clinton Dix perspective. And I would like to respond to that. Um, so I'll read a significant portion of Terrence's email here. Uh, I was a big fan of Ha Ha Clinton Dicks, and I could tell you weren't. You seemed a little lukewarm on him. I'd like to, you to give some feedback on his trade to the Redskins today. I thought he was a ball hawk responsible for every turnover this year through seven games that tackled better than a cornerback but worse than a linebacker. He was the best safety on the team and, in my opinion, the top in the top 10 in the league. He deserved an extension, if not for the fact that he spoke about expecting to be gone after the season. Anyway, I value your opinion and I hope you speak to the situation. So let's go point by point there. Lukewarm on ha-ha Clinton Dix. That's what he says that I am, and I think that's accurate. I am a little bit lukewarm on Clinton Dix, not because I think I I don't appreciate what he's done, because at times this year I think he's been very good, but I think there's a difference between what I, I perceive as who Clinton Dix is and the player he could be, if that makes sense. Uh, Terrence says Clinton Dix is a ball hawk. I think that's pretty fair. But I do wonder about the quality of his interceptions sometimes. Prior to this season, and I think it's just kind of worked out this way this season, a lot of the interceptions that Clinton Dix tended to get were just based on gross overthrows by the opposing quarterback, and not necessarily because he was making a great play on the ball. Sure, you do have to be in position to to make those plays, but a lot of the picks Clinton Dix was making were not necessarily like next-level plays by him. But further to that point, uh, I think it is worth noting, as Terrence does, that Clinton Dix has gotten to the ball a lot this year. We track this stat we call the Ball Hawk Index, Um, It's basically a a measure of how often a player ends up around the ball. You get a point for every interception, pass deflection, sack, or forced fumble you get this year. And currently, HaHa Clinton-Dix is at the top of our index for this year. He was number four last year in kind of, I think what you could qualify as a lost season for the Packers defense. So I don't, I give him credit for being in the top five. I don't knock him for only being number four in our top five. As to his tackling, I think the characterization is good that he's better than a cornerback but worse than a linebacker, but I think the issue there is just his inconsistence. He can be—he can knock you out. He's, he's shown that he can give you a big hit now and then, but he just doesn't do it consistently enough. Being the best safety on the Packers, while accurate, I think is a little bit of a problem. I don't think being the best safety on the Packers right now is all that much of a, of a point in your favor. Um, I think the bigger issue with Clinton Dix this year is that there's not a lot of drop-off, at least in my opinion, and what we've seen so far between him and the less good safeties on the rosters. Yeah, I think for sure until, you know, until today, and he was no longer on the roster, he was the best safety on the roster, but I'm not sure how much that means. So take it, take it with a grain of salt, I guess. A top 10 safety in the league and worth an extension. Well, I think this all comes down to the bottom line on ha-ha on Clinton Dix. If you're going to give a guy an extension, you have to be really certain about what, what he is. Because you don't want to guess on a player because contracts are all about the future of a player. You don't give co- guys contracts for what they are or what they've done in the past. You give them contracts for what they're going to do in the future, what they you think they're going to do in the future. And I think my personal bottom line on Clinton Dix is that he's just kind of a boom or a bust player. The boom part of that equation is stuff like the plays you saw against Buffalo and against Washington. I mean, his interception against Buffalo was great. His interception against Washington was great. Two great plays there. That's what you've been hoping to see from Haha Clinton Dix for a long time. The bust part, though, is, is the frustrating stuff. The angles the tackling, the strange decisions, the at times questionable effort. That's the the problem. So you add all that together and you kind of have to weigh that equation. And I'm not sure for me, if it's my money, I'm interested in locking that guy up for a a top of market deal because I think that's what it would take to to keep him. Because if you're re-signing him, you're having to bid on him before he gets to free agency, and then you're kind of just bidding against yourself, and you might be overpaying a little bit. With the safety market the way it was this past offseason, I'm not sure that's the sort of situation that you want. So what does this mean for the Packers? Well, we got a good question about that from a listener by the name of Anthony. He says, does Goot... Gutekunst feel more confident in Josh Jones than the coaches. Jones was a guy Goot directly scouted at NC State. I feel ha- the Haha trade might further that point and force Jones on the field, just something I thought of, not sure if it holds any merits. Well, for better or for worse, Josh Jones is kind of a big part of the post haha Clinton-Dix safety picture because right now there are only four actual safeties on the roster. There's Jones, there's uh, Jermaine Whitehead, there's Kentrell Bryce, and there's Raven Green. If Josh Jones can't play now, he's not going to play ever. What are you going to sit away sit around and wait for that's not there already? If he can't get on the field with the safety situation like it is right now, I mean good luck. He's he's probably not going to do it. Here we have a guy who's halfway through his second year in the NFL and he can't get ahead of yeah, three undrafted free agents. He's a second round pick. If it's not coming together now, it's probably not ever going to come together. Those others, though, make things a little bit interesting, too. Jermaine Whitehead got a lot of playing time on Sunday, some of it uh, in a ha-ha Clinton-Dix-style road. Kentrell Bryce, maybe a little bit more of a strong safety. Raven Green, a bit of an unknown commodity. But then things get a little bit interesting. Um, Tremont Williams or Bashad Breeland are both guys— that have a little bit of quasi-safety experience. Williams played it a little bit last year, over the past couple of years, in fact, for the Cardinals. And Breland has often been projected as a potential safety throughout his career. Perhaps those are guys who could play a ha Clinton-Dix style. He is off to Washington. As to Jones, I'm not sure that Brian Gutekunst says, I think this guy is better than the coaches do so i'm going to put them in a position where they have to play him however i do think there is something to be said about the differing evaluations between a coaching staff and the front office staff the front office is the are the people who are paid to evaluate the overall strength of a roster and if they think their resources are better devoted elsewhere then you know, keeping haha Clinton Dix at safety, the coaches just kind of have to deal with that. And I think that is maybe the situation here, less than um, Gutekunst trying to force Jones onto the field just because he's necessarily a good player. I think they had a situation where they could get something from a guy they were probably not going to bring back anyway. And so they did that, and as a result, a guy that Brian Gutekunst scouted heavily is going to be in a position where the Packers really have to make a decision, the Packers coaches, that is. So I feel like that's all kind of vague and not necessarily the best way of describing what's going on, but I think those, on balance, those are sort of the, the assorted thoughts that I have. We got to talk about one non-trade that the Packers were in on. Uh, Dante Fowler headed from the Jacksonville Jaguars to the Los Angeles Rams for two draft picks. Supposedly, the Packers were in on this, along with the Jets and the Rams, who ended up getting him. Two draft picks is a lot, but uh, according to Tom Pellicero, there's a caveat here. And quoting directly from him, one note on Dante Fowler Jr., the 2019 third-round pick the Rams will send is conditional based on how many compensatory picks they receive. If they get one, that's the pick that goes to the Jaguars instead of LA's original pick. If they get multiple compensatory picks, then they send the highest comp pick. You follow all that? In short, it's not just a straight-up third-round and fifth-round pick for Fowler. The Jaguars are kind of in a bit of a lottery here. So if the Rams, it's whatever is their highest pick from either a third round pick or compensatory picks. And if they get a, don't get a certain amount of compensatory picks, then they give up whatever. So all that to say there's some additional considerations here. It's not just straight up draft picks for a player. There are two, two concepts here. Uh, first is the, the pass rusher switching teams, and then there is Dante Fowler switching teams. I want to talk about Fowler first. First, I don't love Dante Fowler. He's a trendy name, and I get all the reasons why, you know, former high pick. But athletically, he leaves something to be desired for me even pre-injury. Not very explosive, though he is relatively fast. He's not as productive as you'd like to see from a top pick. And even with all those additional considerations, it's a lot of compensation for a guy who may not be around in six months. I mean, the Rams could be looking for another Dante Fowler just a few months from now. And that's, that's a not insignificant situation for a team in the Packers that already has a lot of uncertainty in their pass rushing group. But I still think there's something to be said for the idea that there were pass rushers out there, Fowler or Bruce Irvin or Shane Ray, even though I don't like him either. There were pass rushers out there that were available for day three picks. And given what we know about day three picks, fourth rounders, fifth rounders, sixth rounders, seventh rounders, it probably wouldn't wouldn't have been a bad idea to at least try at least make a deal and see who you can get in for one of those picks. And if it doesn't work out, so what? You're not out all that much. It doesn't seem like that's how the Packers like to operate as an organization, to say nothing of Brian Gutekunst, but it seems to me like it's worth a shot. Maybe not in, in Fowler's case specifically, but in general, that's something the Packers should be more amenable to. So what does this all mean? Step back and take a look at this. What is the What the Packers did today mean about um, the Packers as a roster for this year, for next year, for the future? First, Brian Gudekunst is the captain now. The 2015 draft class is gone. Jake Ryan is still nominally with the team, but I don't expect him back next year, and he's on injured reserve right now, so it hardly matters. He's showing no loyalty to guys who arrived before he took over. Brian Gudekunst is clearly under no obligation to keep guys just because he was in the building when they were drafted that they were Packers guys or whatever, if you're not performing, if you're not part of the long-term plans, you are gone. And he is moving decisively on that sort of stuff. And that decisiveness is good to see. Second, this year is about more than just this year. I've got a question. I got a question from a reader. And in summary, they just wanted to ask if this is officially a rebuilding year now. And I don't want to say they're punting on this season because I don't think that they are. If you look at what the Packers shipped out today, they they got rid of a third-string running back or the third of three running backs. Third-string doesn't really seem accurate for what Montgomery was, but he was the third of their three guys. And a safety who may not have wanted to be here and was inconsistent while he was here. So I don't think losing those things... Means that you are punting on the season. But they are clearly positioning themselves, I think, to really go after it in the Gutekunst era starting next year. They're going to be 50 million bucks or so under the salary cap for next offseason. And when they get to that next offseason, the pass rush really has to be priority number one in the draft, in free agency, it's got to be a priority because they didn't do anything last offseason. They didn't do anything through the first half of this season. They didn't do anything at the trade deadline. Clay Matthews is gone after this season, or at least taking a significant haircut from a pay perspective, not in real life. Nick Perry, it's complicated. I've got a lot to say about that in probably a different episode, but I think he's going to be back next year. Sorry to say, and. But beyond those guys, there's just nobody else there. As nice as Kyler's Fackrell, F- Kyler Fackrell's sack was on Sunday, they need people there. They need pass rushes. They just need bodies. So off-season pass rush has to be priority number one. And I think they can do it, but it's going to take some work. Let's take your questions as we transition out of trade talk. If you have any further questions on trades as these next few days go by, now feel free to reach out. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, email, you know how to reach us. Do it. Uh, I would love to talk about this even more. Um, So don't hesitate. Reach out. Um, And I do want to, uh, uh, I had a segment built in here for corresponding moves. Real quick, let's do that Um, before we get to your questions. Corresponding moves. The Packers have two roster spots. One of them is going to be Trevor Davis. I am convinced of that. Uh, Of the two receivers the Packers have on injured reserve right now, he can benefit them the most. Uh, The Packers need a kick returner. He does that consistently. Uh, The Packers need a punt returner. They could use some significant help there. And with Tremont Williams taking on potentially a bigger role in the secondary, Trevor Davis would be a good fit there at punt returner, and he's good at it when when he's back there. So that'd be good to see. Uh, That other roster spot, I think it's probably going to be a running back, and I would really prefer it if it was a running back because you don't want to go through too many games with only two guys at that spot. More as, on that stuff as it unfolds this over the next couple of days. Your questions. Real fast here. Don't want don't to waste your time too much. Um, oh, we're only at 23 minutes. Loads of time. Loads and loads of time. So let, let's dive into your questions here and give them all thoughtful, very good, and excellent answers. Uh, Fakedoor.com, Fakedoors.com excuse me, asks, is Aaron Rodgers good enough to beat Mike McCarthy? Well, it depends what he's beating him at. Uh, checkers, who knows? Chess, who knows? Shoots and ladders, kind of a game of chance. War, that card game where you just flip over one card at a time, also a game of chance. So uh, it depends a little bit there. Fashion, probably the edge to Rodgers. Eating dairy, Mike McCarthy's definitely got an edge there. Press conferences, it's a bit of a toss-up because I find Mike McCarthy's press conferences entertaining, um, even if he doesn't say a whole lot, but I think the edge probably goes to Rodgers. He does wear some nice sweaters there sometimes. Uh, the plain gray polo shirt, though, on Sunday didn't do a whole lot for me. Uh, playing football, Rodgers definitely a lot more accomplished there. Coaching football, I would say McCarthy. Uh, Rodgers has a little bit of a struggle in the people skills area, which is a big part of being being a head coach. So I think uh, think McCarthy comes out there. All that being said, though, uh, hard to say if Rodgers is, is capable of beating McCarthy or if, if he's good enough to beat Mike McCarthy. Clearly, they were asking something else there. So let's talk about what they actually mean. Is Aaron Rodgers good enough to overcome the weaknesses in Mike McCarthy's scheme and general coaching? Yes, but that's not really the issue. It's not really an issue either. Uh, the Packers scheme is fine. Uh, could it be better? Sure. Absolutely. Uh, but here's here's the thing. Sean McVay's scheme could be better. Kyle Shanahan's scheme could be better. Everybody's scheme could be better. Do they have as much room for improvement as Mike McCarthy does? No. But the scheme is fine. It's not like the Packers are out there running single wing in 2018. If the Packers execute and have been executing, they would have been fine throughout most of the first half of the season. Um, I think if the Packers execute a little bit better on offense against the Vikings, it doesn't matter what the Vikings do in terms of a comeback or what the Packer, or what the refs call on Clay Matthews. If they execute better early against the Detroit Lions, the Packers probably win that game too. If they execute better against the Washington Redskins, they probably, they probably win that game too. Even if the Packers executed just a hair better on offense against the Rams, they probably win that game too. Scheme has nothing to do with the execution in those games. The scheme could be better, sure, but by and large, I don't think the scheme is as much of a problem as people make it out to be. The scheme has not necessarily kept them from winning these games that they could have won so far this season. Zach asks, are the anonymous quotes and internal frustration coming out in the wake of the Montgomery fumble a sign of a team lacking unity right now? Hard to speculate on this because obviously we're not in the locker room, but I think the Montgomery trade shows the Packers are sensitive to these sorts of things. Keeping Montgomery around would have shown that the Packers were kind of tone deaf to the things being said on both sides, and I think the solution to the situation is moving on from Ty Montgomery. However, I think if you want to play devil's advocate, you can argue that this situation is an admission by the Packers, that they're not strong enough internally to overcome a spat between a couple players that's playing out in the media. If you were so inclined, I think you could argue without stretching a whole lot that the Packers just punted on a problem instead of dealing with it. You could say that a strong coaching staff sits the people involved down and says, hey, this is not how we're going to do things here. Yep, Ty screwed up. But... You got to deal with it. That happens. People make mistakes and we're going to move on and we're going to get over this and everybody involved is going to get over it. That's not what happened. And I also think that, you know, just moving on from a guy is something that tends to happen with low level roster players. Anyway, that's what Montgomery was. So the Packers just moved on. If he was, if it was Devontae Adams who made a terrible game ending fumble and then people got, you know, into a a tiff over it, then I think you have to deal with that internally. And they would have been forced to, but being who these people are, I think they, they probably just decided it was not worth the trouble. Callum asks, does Petton change the scheme for the Pats despite the excellent performance? It feels like the six DB sets were to cancel out the Rams chunk plays. Is Brady or happy is Brady happier to throw underneath and get his backs on linebackers? He'll also diagnose much easier than Goff. I really like this scheme from Petton. And I think getting rid of chunk plays is never a bad thing. But to that point, the Packers also ran something very similar against the Vikings entirely because the Vikings liked to throw to their backs. Dalvin Cook was, was very much in that sort of vein of, of player. They liked to get involved through the air that way. And the Packers ran a bunch of six defensive back looks as a result. So I think where this gets interesting is pressure on Brady. You know, the Packers' approach to this ga- the game this weekend comes down to pressure. Uh, Jared Goff escaped or avoided or m- mitigated some of the pressure the Packers put on him with his mobility sometimes, but Brady is not going to be that guy. In part because he started playing football professionally, I think in nineteen seventy six, possibly earlier. I would have to check the notes on that. I think Pettin is going to have to take what he did against the Rams and really dial it up to one hundred. He's going to have to play defensive back heavy looks because the, because of what the the, the Patriots do with their backs, with their tight ends, and with their receivers in their short game, and because Brady is so good at reading the defense. If he can figure out ways to disguise what they're doing in coverage and still get pressure on Brady, I like their chances of slowing down the Patriots offense. Um, It's going to be hard, but I, I like their chances. Speaking of the Patriots, while I've got you here, I think something that you need to take some time and look at is how Bill Belichick talks about Mike McCarthy. This is an interesting case study of the difference in perception locally and nationally and among peers. I think locally and nationally, people are pretty much in agreement on on Mike McCarthy. Uh, They think he's wasting Aaron Rodgers. They think his scheme is terrible and that he's just a a bad coach who's ill-suited for what the Packers are right now. And there are large parts of that that may be true. But when you listen to Bill Belichick talk about Mike McCarthy, you can see immense respect from Belichick to McCarthy for the McCarthy is, And sure, he could be just blowing smoke and refusing to give bulletin board material and all that. And coaches are known for for doing those sorts of things, especially Belichick. He's not known for being the most revealing guy. But I think it's interesting the things that he does say, because if he's not interested in answering a question, he will very quickly make that obvious. But when Bill Belichick chooses to speak at length about things, you are obligated, I think, to listen. And to that point, he has spoken at length, both both of the times the Packers have played the the Patriots the last two times, 2014 and now in 2018, he's spoken at length about his respect for who McCarthy is as a coach, as a play designer, as a play caller, about how the Packers execute situationally. And that's not for nothing if Bill Belichick isn't the best coach of all time, and I don't want to talk about whether or not he is, he still is one of the very best, if not the best of his generation. I don't know who else would come close. And so if that guy is going to go out of his way to say nice things about Mike McCarthy, I think that leads the rest of us to take another longer, more considered look at who exactly Mike McCarthy is. Is he the best coach in the world? Is he the most creative coach in the world? No. Is there a lot that could be improved about the way Mike McCarthy does his job? Absolutely, yes. But Bill Belichick sure seems to like him. And if he's good enough for Bill Belichick, I think we can at least make it through the end of the season without running Mike McCarthy out of town. Those are my thoughts. Let me know what you think. You can always reach out and find us at ThePowerSweep.com or on Facebook or on Twitter or via email at ThePowerSweep1959 at gmail.com. Support us if you would be so kind on Patreon.com slash ThePowerSweep. Uh, You can throw in $1 a month. It really helps us with our hosting costs for both this podcast and ThePowerSweep.com. We really appreciate it. If you want to support us and look good as you do it, buy one of our fine t-shirts at Teespring.com. Click the link. Uh, the store link at thepowersweep.com to find your way there. As always, the freest and easiest way to support us is by leaving a review on iTunes. It's free. It's easy. It helps more people find the show. uh, And we do appreciate those reviews very much. We do love to hear from you. Any feedback or thoughts you give us helps us make this entire operation better and helps all of us become Smarter Packers fans. And as I say each and every Wednesday, Smarter Packers fans are Better Packers fans, and Better Packers fans are what we all want to be. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. I've been your host, John Muirink. We will see you on Friday.